Mistakes were made. You know, that's a phrase that's got a lot of history. It's also got a lot of baggage. You know, it's usually it's usually spoken by those seeking to avoid both blame and responsibility for an inconvenient and damaging fact. In my case, I'll use it as the best way to approach the story of just what went wrong with what should have been the high point of my career as a miniature sculptor. Which should have been by topic, by client, by opportunity, by subject matter, which should have been the best, most well-known, and most exciting work I ever did. But, which turned out to be some of the most embarrassing and frustrating work I ever did. And that is, of course, the Kemri team for Blood Bowl, which I, uh, I must admit I did. That was essentially or in part my work. And it is also probably the most maligned, the most disliked, and the most misunderstood set of miniatures in the Blood Bowl canon. So to tell the story of where it all went wibbly-wobbly. Let's start well back. So set the controls for the Wayback Machine for 13 years ago, sometime in the, the early part of 2001, when I was an aspiring perhaps marginally ambitious miniature sculptor, perhaps marginally talented miniature sculptor. You know, I would never put myself into an elite category. I would never put myself into a, a truly professional category. But as amateur sculptors go, my, my stuff is passable. It's reasonably good. I think that if I were... If I had ever been in a position where I could have spent 40 hours a week sculpting, I may have become you know, reasonably good. But as it was, sculpting for me was a hobby that got out of control. Mostly due to the, the hubris and the... And the lack of perspective that comes with youth. So, the story really begins that March of 2001 when 
I had occasion to be in in England, and that occasion was actually the the honeymoon that my wife and I took after we got married. Now, as an aspiring sculptor and as a miniatures gaming obsessive and as someone who had been at various points variously engaged by Games Workshop either to a greater or marginal extent being in the vicinity of Games Workshop's studio brought about a a somewhat irrational course of action on my part in that having been pen palling a bit with Rick Priestley um, around the release of the Warmaster game, which I was inordinately fond of at the time. And seeing that as something of a connection, I made a, a reasonably simple request. Hey, you know, I am a an amateur aspiring to be more sculptor. I'm going to be in England. Is it possible for someone like me just to come and see the Games Workshop studio to see how how things are done in the big leagues, as it were? I expected not to receive any sort of of affirmative reply to that request, but much to my surprise, Rick uh, said that that was a thing that could completely happen. So we worked out a date when I was going to be free, as it were, and I could take the train up from London, where we were staying and visiting, to to Nottingham and visit the and visit the studio. Now, that experience, which was not really the subject of this discussion here was was interesting to say the least and um you know when you are when you're somebody who works at the dining room table and who has only ever cast a figure using a wind-up spin caster visiting the games workshop studio is Willy Wonka-esque, <laughs> to say the least. But one of the things that came out of that visit was a, a conversation with Jervis Johnson. Now, at that point in early 2001, Jervis was overseeing an operation within Games Workshop called Fanatic. Now, Fanatic's mission was to serve as a mail-order-based specialty figure provider and magazine producer for those portions of the Games Workshop hobby 
which had fallen out of the scope of their principal manufacturing operation. So the, the goal of Fnatic was to make figures and accessories to complement or complete not only the core games of you know Warhammer and Warhammer 40k but also to to expand upon some of the the smaller games such as you know a Gorkamorka or a uh, or a Mordheim or a Blood Bowl now at that point they had a lot of leeway in what sorts of products they could offer. They had a lot of leeway in how they could source those products. And they had a lot of leeway in the logistics of those products. Their, their limitation was mostly that they could only produce a few things here and there. You know, only a certain number of molds, but they were specifically to provide for things that would be of interest and of use and of need to some of their hobbyists, but could never meet the demands required for their full production system. You know, for a for a piece to go into production, the number of spins of the mold for testing, for quality assurance alone, and the number of figures pulled out of that mold before it went to the production floor was greater than the number of anticipated sales of the miniatures that Fnatic was going to be releasing. So they they were going to be filling a, a very odd and ultimately very unlikely to succeed role in the games workshop hobby. Now, after visiting and talking with, with Jervis Johnson, um, I had the opportunity to work on some as yet unspecified future project for impact. And it was somewhat left up to me to almost offer a suggestion as to what that what that future product might be. Now, shortly before all of this happened, the Blood Bowl magazine had gone into print through Fanatic because printing games printing magazines for what would become their specialist games was a big part of that effort. And in those magazines, they did create some new team rosters for us to play with. Most, uh, you know, the, the Amazons, the, the vampires and the, the Camry undead. Now, Knowing that one of the one of the product types which Fnatic was most excited about producing, most able to produce, and most likely to produce at the point at which we had the conversation 
were conversion sprues. The idea I originally had for the Kemry team, which I pitched to Jervis and was ultimately contracted to do, was that we would create a set of conversion sprues that would allow players to take the Games Workshop Plastic Skeleton Regiment and add on all these little conversion bits to create a Camry Blood Bowl team. Um, the, you know, at the most basic level, it would be a fairly simple looking team. But one of the goals that we established for the project was that there would be sort of a, a certain amount of canvas left open for people creating this team to expand the to expand on the conversion parts with their own work in in you know converting or or sculpting additional details so at one of the busiest and most chaotic times in my life i was changing jobs i was changing houses i was settling into a a new lifestyle now that I had gotten married, it was cohabitating and was probably not up to the task in terms of time or skill, having never created a, a conversion sprue before and having really only sculpted a, uh, a paltry number of figures overall in general, I set about working on this set of parts. Now, the, the parts that I did eventually complete were passable. You know, they were not, they were not amazing, but they would have accomplished that original goal. That original goal being things that you could glue to plastic skeleton bodies and a few nearly complete mummy figures which to which you could add not only some of these conversion parts but also which would have some intentionally blank areas to do your own work so a lot of the body of those mummies was just wraps. And so I finished those, I finished those sprues, the four or five sprues. I had made some elbow pads, knee pads. I had made um, hands and feet with wrist and ankle cuffs that you could replace the, the the lower arm and the lower leg of the the plastic skeletons with I had created some 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 pads I'd created some some alternate heads with appropriate helmets for the for the regular lineman figures as well as for the the specialty players that had sort of the the animal god masks on 
And so I, I packed all that up uh, a couple months later and, and sent it off to England for what I expected to be. And what honestly at that point fanatic expected to be production as a set of conversion sprues, just as we had planned. Unfortunately, this is where things got a little bit unexpected. So Fanatic turned out to not really fit into the business of Games Workshop very well, which should come as no surprise because the whole point of Fanatic was to try to provide something at a level which the business was too big to care about. However, while remaining a cost center, you can, of course, see the the inevitable conflict. So, somewhere in that series of months between the time I submitted the, the finished conversion sprues and the time that they eventually came to market close to two years later, Fnatic underwent a massive reorganization into what would become specialist games. Now specialist games operated under a very different set of directions from the the corporate hierarchy. They were no longer to be a whimsical internal division for providing obscure and interesting additional content. They were to be the sole means of support for all Games Workshop titles not called Warhammer or Warhammer 40K or Lord of the Rings. They also had to provide retail-ready standardized packaging. Now, that directive was ultimately what doomed the Camry team. They were no longer able to manufacture and distribute something as simple as a set of conversion sprues. Specialist Games had to provide a finished product. And for a Blood Bowl team, that finished product was 16 miniatures in what had become the standard box size, which was that plastic uh, four-chamber or five-chamber, I forget, um, clamshell in in a cardboard sleeve. Along with the, the bases and all, you know, any part that was required for all 16 players had to fit in that box and be playable out of that box. Now, there was no way to package the plastic skeleton regiment sprues in that box or to repackage those plastic skeleton sprues at all. So, Fnatic was left with a decision. Well, no longer Fnatic. Specialist Games was left with the decision 
do they drop that Camry submission altogether, which was not what Jervis wanted to do. He wanted these, these miniatures ultimately to see the light of day. He wanted people to have this team and to, to get them into, into the, into the marketplace. So the choice that they were left with as the only way forward was to take those conversion sprues and somehow turn them into a complete 16 player team product that would fit in that required box. So the way that they went about that was to essentially take the plastic skeleton pieces that were intended for use with the conversion sprues, glue the conversion parts to them, and then recast the resulting piece, which would then be able to be one piece of the the makeup of the whole. So you did still have a few sprued parts like the, the shoulder and knee pads, the, the hand and arm replacements. They were still more or less on, on the sprues as it had been originally intended. But what you had now were the, the legs and torsos and complete rather than partial arms and complete rather than partial legs of the plastic skeletons done in metal. Throw them all in the box along with the, you know, assorted other bits and, and sell them. Now the, you know, the, the, the mechanics of where that introduced additional degradation of the of the parts and of the final product gets into some some technical details of of the whole casting process but to to sort of take the whole thing and put it into the, the smallest package possible. What, what, what essentially happened was that you now had pieces which were one or more generations deeper into um, additional recasting than anything that would normally be made into a production piece. You had levels of lateral compression from the, from the additional molds that go with those additional generations. And you had um, shrinkage of the pieces beyond what would normally have been seen. So you had pieces which were sort of squashed, which were small, which had, um, which had uh, detailed distortion and which had mold artifacts introduced that really reduced the, the quality of the product. And it was, it's just a necessary part of, 
that process of taking something that was that was made once that was then master molded once potentially production molded once then reused remastered reproduction molded and so the the component quality of the the Kemri pieces suffered from that from those additional steps but also the the build experience of the Kemri for anyone who tried to build them you know how difficult they were to build because those were not pieces that were ever intended to be metal you know, those were pieces which were originally plastics. Now, plastic and metal have a completely different adhesion profile when it comes to working with them with glue. You know, the, the small flat joins that are perfectly fine in plastic, which can be bonded and extremely difficult to separate in plastic, are incredibly fragile fracture points when you're dealing with metal and glue you need a completely different approach to the assembly process when you're doing a multi-part metal miniature than when you're doing a multi-part plastic miniature and a multi-part plastic miniature is simply not going to translate well to metal and these did not they were very difficult to assemble they were very frustrating to work with they broke fairly easily on use. And, you know, once they got out into the world, they were, they were really just, they weren't well received. They were very frustrating. And for me personally, it was very disappointing and very embarrassing. You know, for a while, I didn't even kind of want to own up to having done them. You know, I had, I generally kept it quiet that I had done them originally. And then as the, the time went by the year or more that it took for them to, to transition through the, through the, the changeover from fanatic to specialist games that eventually get produced. I kind of hope people have forgotten about it. <laughs> and Overall, I mean, I'm sure that Jervis and Specialist Games weren't thrilled with the product, but it was all that it was all that they could do without commissioning an entirely new Kemri team, which you know they they didn't do. I mean, to their to their credit, they wanted my stuff to be out there, but in the end the condition that it was in was not what I think anybody wanted. And I don't think that there was ever a point where the consumer, where the, the, the players who were out there buying this and struggling with it could ever in looking at what they were handling, understand that process that, that this set of figures had gone through from their original concept through to their ultimate reality. And 
you know, I didn't make a big deal about it at the time, even on the forums. You know, I just kind of wanted to let the subject drop. I didn't want to be a complainer. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to stick my neck out. You know, I still had some aspirations. I just wanted to let it drop. But, you know, that, I mean, that in a nutshell is, is what happened. If you've ever wondered why that team was the way that it was, well, that's the story. It was just the victim of a transition and a transition that left it by necessity in a form that it was not intended to be in and that it was not particularly compatible with, but at least it was there. You know, at least at the end of the day, I could still say, hey, I sculpted for Games Workshop. So mistakes were made. You know, so who, who gets the blame and who gets the responsibility? You know, I have to say, I don't blame Games Workshop. I don't blame Fanatic. I don't blame Jervis. I blame myself. Because at the end of the day, when you step back, there was no need to have pitched the Kemri team as conversion spurs. That was an idea that got planted in my head right at the very beginning of Fanatic with their initial mission statement, with their initial... Um, with their initial posted desires. And while the the Vampire team and the Amazon team would ultimately be done as single-piece, complete cast figures, although the Amazons did suffer a bit from being repurposed Mordheim figures, which had some of those same recasting issues that the Kemri will ultimately have. I could have pitched the Kemri team as single piece complete figures. I could have done six, eight, nine individual sculpts and produced a team of figures that would have been just great. You know, I mean, some of you may have seen um, on forums and websites in the past my own Kemri team. And it's always been sort of the the showcase for what that team was supposed to be. You know, that's always the way that I pitched it. Because once I got a hold of those parts, and once I got over the initial shock of it all, the decision I made was that I had to... I had to build that team the way that it was supposed to have happened originally. I had to justify my initial my initial suggestion that they could be conversion parts from which an advanced modeler could jump off from and complete a unique and exceptional team. So I turned around and I took those parts and I made a team of, of, of figures, which would ultimately be some of the best work I've ever done as a modeler, as a figure converter, and as a painter. 
the the amount of time and effort and work that I lavished onto those figures was immense. And so I have, I personally own a gorgeous Kemri team. And that's the problem. I'm the only one who has it. But I had the ability to create it all along. I could have given every single one of you that same Kemri team. If I had only pitched the team the right way the first time. So mistakes were made by me. You know, that's the way that sentence never ends. That mistakes are made by me is never uttered. But it's always implied. So this time I'll say it. Mistakes were made by me. And I do wish that I had done it right. And I do wish that your Kemri team was awesome. And I'm sorry. I truly, I'm sorry. You know, this is a, this is an apology. Ultimately, more than a story. And... You know, we're well past the point where anything can really be done about it other than an old man with failing eyes and the inability to actually do anything about it can come to you and say, hey, I'm sorry, honestly. But now you know the story and now it's off my chest. And I think that we can all just move on and start the show. Too epic. So tense. <laughs> Too tense indeed. All right, so welcome to uh, episode four of the Lead Mountain Radio Hour. It's being recorded on November 19th, 2014, and going out to the world in stereo all right so uh so what's happening on the lead mountain this week i have to say i um i found myself in kind of an interesting dilemma recently now as as many of you if not most of you know i uh i love saga the uh the dark ages skirmish game by gripping beast now my my group has a bit of a preference for four-point games when we play Saga, which is uh, sort of the the introductory size game, but it plays very quickly. It resolves satisfyingly, but also fast, so we can get in several games in a night. Although the sort of the suggested game size in Saga is what they would call a six-point game, which basically means that instead of four units of figures, you need six units of figures. So, over the last year or so, as I was collecting my own Saga armies, I had I had been buying sort of towards four-point armies, but 
what I saw at um, Huracan this year over in Orlando was that even in the even in the tournaments, sort of the, the larger community was still sticking with that six point game. So one of the things that I needed to do was to to increase the size of a couple of my armies to six points. Now, one of those armies that I have, of course, is the Skraylings, which were a limited edition team, a team, limited edition army from Gripping Beast. And what happened was that between the time I bought my original starter set, my original four point starter set, along with a, a single blister of extra warriors. Cause I wanted to play without Levy because I don't like Levy in saga. Um, the, the Skraylings have gone out of production and out of availability. You can't find the gripping beast Skraylings anywhere. So I was left in kind of an interesting quandary because I had, I had four points of painted figures. I had a fifth point of unpainted levy, but that still only left me with five points, meaning that this was going to be very difficult to play in a six point game because I only had five points, but there weren't any particularly attractive alternative figures available. So that left me in kind of a lurch until I found Footsore Miniatures. Now what Footsore has done is they have produced a, a line of scralings which very closely matches the the heft and the the style reference for the costuming from which the the gripping beast figures were were done. You know, I found when I was searching for for the for scrailing figures just overall, I did find a lot of a lot of really uh, good artwork for for the scrailings, and it was it was pretty clear along the way at what a few of the what a few of the inspirations probably were. And, and, and those inspirations certainly carried through to both of these lines. And what's really nice about them is that they, I mean, they just are mixing perfectly because they, they were, I'm sure consciously done. Like I said, with that right heft and with those same wardrobe cues to, to match very well. And, you know, this isn't, this isn't something unusual. You know, there's, there's a whole sort of of nexus of of historical figures that comes out of of central England, you know, in the the artisan cobblestone foundry, black tree design, crusader arc of figures that all sort of have this same sculpting style and the same proportional choices and, and you know some of the same just weight to the figure and they all mix and match really really pretty well and so these these footsore figures look like they are a good alternative to 
to Gripping Beast in in getting that same getting that same sort of mix so that you're you know if you're in a situation where you need to expand your saga army or start a new one although I will say in retrospect if I was starting Scralings today as opposed to expanding Scralings you know one of the things about the the gripping beast scralings is that they are sort of dressed for a warm-ish climate. Now it's true that the Vikings would have been in the New World in the spring or summer when the ice was thawed and they were able to make it there. And for those for those American Indians who were in that area at that time of year a lighter dress may have been more appropriate. And that, that that's certainly probably why the, the historical references tend to, to go in that direction since we really have very little in terms of, of artifacts or, or uh, images or descriptions to work from those assumptions are made. However, I think that it might have been a little bit more fun from a, just sort of differentiating your collection from everyone else's to have gone with, um, to have gone with more of an Inuit, um, line of figures than a woodland Indian type line of figures. And Copplestone does in fact have a couple of packs of primitively armed Inuit in the, the sort of bulky, seal and and fur um outfits with harpoons and and things like that so i think that if i were to if i were in a position where i had no scralings at all i think it might have been more fun to go that way but that said i do really like my scraling army the um the face palm tribe and if you ever see a picture of them you know i need to put i need to try to work a couple of these pictures of the the things that I'm talking about here tonight into the either into the show notes or onto the the blog feed at the site so that you can so you can see some of these but the um yeah I think it might have been more fun to have gone that way but since I didn't I was very pleased to have gotten a hold of those footsore figures and uh I think that they will uh they will finish that army off pretty nicely all right um so, you know, one thing I always do here on the Lead Mountain, since it's lonely on the Lead Mountain, is I always encourage other people to join the conversation. And to that end, we do have um we do have some some input from from you, the listening community this week. So one question that was asked after my my um my musings on the value of ownership of video game property as opposed to tabletop game property last week was what I think about the, um, so the games workshop video games in general, but I think the, the upcoming Mordheim video game in particular. Now I've not really seen a lot about the Mordheim video game and I don't know what the platform situation is even going to be. So I may not get to play it. But I will say that Mordheim was always a game which presented me with a dilemma. Because on the one hand, 
Mordheim had everything I need to be happy. It had great art design. It had a great story. It had really, really nice miniatures. It was a skirmish game. I always prefer a skirmish game to a battle game. It had everything I needed for it to be my favorite game, except good rules. <laughs> the actually playing Mordheim was was not a great experience for me. You know, I very quickly picked up on some of the some of the inadequacies in the the balance uh in the rules. You know, there were there were combinations of characters and combinations of equipment which would very quickly trivialize um the 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 flow of the game and there weren't always there weren't always good answers for every contingency and not not everything that you would want to do in the game was was mechanically sound and i think that that that's always very disappointing when you sort of fall into the place where in order to play a game efficiently and in order to play a game well you can no longer play a game artfully or you can no longer play a game uncynically and unfortunately, that's where Mordheim really fell, is that you you sort of had to play it cynically. You had to game the system. You had to min-max if you wanted to be successful, especially against other people who were themselves min-maxing. And, you know, in addition to just the basic mechanics of that game, the... I guess for lack of a better term, league rules, you know, the, the campaign system for it made that central mistake that so many games and, and so so frequently games workshop games made with campaigning where they treated the the outcome of the game as a zero sum balance. You know, one team was going to gain and another team was going to lose. You know, when they when one team killed a player on the other team they were going to gain experience for doing that. Meanwhile, the other team was going to have to deal with a deficit. And what happens in, in games that are designed that way is that you very quickly degenerate into a negative feedback loop of the haves and the have-nots. And, and Blood Bowl is most especially was always plagued by that. You know, you'd have, you'd have leagues that would get going... And three or four or five games in, you'd have, you know, one third of the teams that were flying, one third of the teams that were just barely getting along, and one third of the teams that were decimated. And odds are that that bottom third was just going to drop out and throw your entire league into chaos. And it took me a long time to sort of come to terms with the fact that that's an unfixable state. You know, you can't have a league system that is a zero sum game. You've got to, 
you've got to make it so that you can't lose your ability to enjoy yourself to a few bad dice rolls. And what I ultimately came to, you know, what I ultimately came to terms with was simply the fact that, that the, the idea of a campaign system where your, where your team ostensibly grows over time, but could just as well set back over time isn't worth it. You know, what I ultimately came to came to understand about these sorts of games was that it's not the 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 fun of a of a season or of a campaign is too precariously placed upon the idea of development and that a better system either has everyone progressing at the same pace regardless of outcomes or does not deal with progression at all and simply strings together a series of of you know, game episodes for the fun of playing the game. I think that while the simulationist and while the the role playist desire to do that sort of management over time and to develop your your force, whether it's a team or a, a war band or whatever, while that is certainly there, that the the difficulty in providing that well and the difficulty in providing that effectively are simply too great and the the cost of failure is too high. And in the end, it's easier and probably better just to skip that component entirely. So, you know, Mordheim suffered from that and... What I'm afraid of, looking ahead to the Mordheim video game, is that we will follow the model of the Blood Bowl video game, which simply put into electronic form so many of the things that I hate about the current state of Blood Bowl. And so I am a little concerned that the game will be a bit too faithful to the original, if not in combat mechanics, then also not perhaps in campaign mechanics and may suffer some of the same deficiencies there. However, you know, there is always the possibility that they, that they go with a, a new and better system and video games, certainly more than tabletop games from the nineties know how to handle progression uh, fairly well. So, there's definitely a very real possibility there. And the source material that they're working with is probably some of the best source material that Games Workshop ever did, in my opinion. You know, while as much as I love the the 90s era orc material, you know, the, the Ear We Go and Freebooters era stuff, and as much as I admire 
and love the early chaos stuff, the, uh, the realms of chaos and lost in the damn books. I do think that the, the world design and the ideas and the, the vibe of Mordheim were some of their best work. So the fact that it, it, it's sort of getting another life, you know, another chance at being is very exciting. And I am going to, to definitely be watching for this and, and hoping for the best and hoping that it turns out to be great and hoping that it turns out to be on a platform that I can play. So yeah, that's, uh, that'll be pretty interesting. All right. So we, uh, I think our, I think our time here on the mountain is, is probably, is probably winding down for, for this week. So like I said, I'll, I'll try to work something out with, with pictures this week. So they'll either be in the show notes if that works with the iTunes feed, or if not, then go ahead and look at the, the, um, the non audio feed at the website. Uh, and of course the website is going to be philbowen.com. Just go to the Lead Mountain Radio Hour section there, and you will find this show. And once you've done that, go ahead and leave some comments. You know, I always say that, um, you know, this show, while it is all about the things in my head, is nonetheless a conversation. So join the conversation. Go to philbowen.com, reply in the comments. And, or uh, you can hit us directly. You can get uh, leadmountainradio at gmail.com or LMRH podcast on Twitter. So, once again, the mountain is high. Send brushes. <laughs>